0: A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: May I have the grace to speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's reading from the Gospel of Matthew is one of the passages appointed for the service of ordination to the priesthood. Actually, there we just hear a few verses. The part about the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. It's a powerful image for those being called to leadership in the church. So some of the verses we heard today are not in that service. That part about not getting paid for our services and the command not to have money or clothes for the journey? Wait a minute. And certainly, the counsel not to worry about what you will say when challenged was not in any class on preaching that I had in seminary. I hope you're laughing out there. (laughs) Help me out here. In today's passage from Matthew, we are with Jesus in the early part of his ministry. After two chapters of teaching, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, in the next two chapters, he's very busy, healing people of many diseases, casting out demons, raising a young girl to life. He's called some followers to be his disciples, and today he's making them partners in his ministry. He's giving them the authority he has exercised to overcome the powers of disease and provide healing. Jesus gives very specific instructions, including a troubling command not to go beyond the boundaries of the Jewish communities. Don't go to Samaria or to the Gentiles. At this point, Jesus says, your mission is to the lost tribes of the house of Israel. Start where you are. And they are to go in a position of vulnerability, living simply and in need of the hospitality of those to whom they go. The advice is practical. If your message is not received, move on. And expect to find that your work will cause controversy with the authorities and even within your own family. Jesus' teachings are not theoretical exercises. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he issues this warning in chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Following Jesus is an invitation to a life of belief and action, and it has its foundation in God's love. Jesus looks at the crowds around him and he has compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the calling of disciple partners is rooted in concern for those in need and the mission is one of healing as a sign of God's care for them. So what does this passage mean for us? present-day followers of Jesus? What is our role in proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come near in these challenging times? We're praying for healing for those affected by COVID-19 and for protection for medical workers. We're offering financial and material support to organizations that address urgent needs. We're joining with other faith communities to demand action to address police brutality and white supremacy. We honor the memories of some people who have been murdered by those with a twisted sense of safety. And we're delving deeply into our own parish's history to have a fuller understanding of our part in these inequities both the perpetuation of white supremacy and the efforts to move towards racial justice. At times, I feel overwhelmed. Today feels like a crisis moment, a time when many forces are colliding and our foundations seem shaky. Urgent action is demanded. Where is the time and space for reflection and purposeful thinking? What is Jesus commanding us to do as those who bear his name? Where is the kingdom of God that Jesus says has come near? I'm lifting up two phrases from today's reading that may be helpful. The first is Jesus' command to cast out unclean spirits and cure every sickness. And the other is from our first lesson where we read, Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts. What if we think of racism as an evil spirit, a demon that has possessed us, a virus that has invaded our hearts and our institutions? Jesus is giving us authority over these spirits to overcome their power, to free ourselves and our society from their grip. And following Jesus' example, we do this out of compassion, out of the recognition that racism has deformed all of us, both white people and people of color, robbing us of the potential to live together as God's beloved children. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom involves naming the demons and invoking God's powerful love to take away their power. It's a combination of inward and outward looking. We need the discipline of self-reflection to understand how we have been infected with white privilege and how we can pray for the strength to recognize and name it wherever it manifests itself. We need to clear out space for God's compassion to help us find ways to drive out that demon in our individual lives and in our communities. It means being serious about looking at our history to see how these evil spirits have shaped our institutions, our governments, and most painfully, our churches. It is heartbreaking work. To continue the metaphor of disease, it may mean radical surgery to clear out the cancer, or it may mean hours of therapy to replace the delusions and the denial. Jesus is not calling us to an easy road, but he's promising to accompany us as we go. It's a journey in which we learn compassion as we find that the discomfort some of us feel in learning our history does not compare with the suffering that white supremacy has inflicted on others. And where we find that God's willingness to suffer a shameful lynching shows us the depths of God's love for all of us and the promise of new life on the other side of that suffering. We have cause for hope when we experience God's love poured into our hearts as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Keeping God's undying love before us requires discipline. We need a fierce love that can stand up to the evil powers that lurk in human hearts and actions. I learned that in August 2017 when I went to Charlottesville. I came from Boston in response to a call for clergy, especially white clergy, to help support those who are making a stand against the Unite Unite the Right rally. We met on the night before the march in a church named St. Paul's for instruction and inspiration. Cornel West, prominent theologian and activist, gave a combination of preaching and practical advice, sort of like Jesus' words to his disciples today. He told us to be prepared to be intimidated by weapons and anger and insults, and generally to be provoked to try to elicit some equally aggressive physical response from us. His instructions to to us were to remain calm and to keep saying to ourselves, God loves these people. God does not love what they are doing. But he loves these people. He loves all of us. And we are here to bear witness to the power of love to overcome evil. Keeping God's care uppermost in our minds helps us to tap into the hope that Paul speaks about in today's first reading. God accompanies us in our suffering And through endurance that molds our character, God reveals hope that sustains us. These are precious words in these times. I heard powerful expressions of healing and hope on another trip I made to Ghana several years ago as a guest of a faculty member at St. Nicholas Seminary, the Anglican Seminary in the city of Cape Coast on the coast of West Africa. Father Joseph and I had been fellow divinity students at Yale. While I was there, I visited one of the castles built along the coast of West Africa by Portuguese and English colonizers and slave traders. There were spacious quarters for the governor and his entourage and quarters for the military forces The lower levels contained small, windowless rooms, dungeons in which enslaved peoples were crowded together with no sanitary facilities, barely any food, no medical care, living and dying on top of each other, waiting often for months before being loaded onto ships bound for the Western Hemisphere to Brazil, the Caribbean, and the east coast of North America. In this particular castle, in the largest dungeon underneath, the only source of air was a tiny hole that opened in the ceiling of that room into the floor of the room above. The room above the dungeon was a chapel. So it was said. Each day, the moans of those imprisoned below were covered by the sounds of Anglican worship in the chapel. I imagined sincere Christians offering their daily praise to God, but on what foundation? When I spoke with Joseph about my experience, I asked him how it felt to be part of that worshiping tradition, to be part of the Anglican communion. I was certainly haunted by that question for myself. And Joseph said to me, it's important for us to know this history, to learn from it, and to continue to ask for God's mercy and healing as we move forward. We are a people of hope because we know of God's love for us and for all creation. We are working for God's kingdom. This stole, the one I'm wearing today, was a gift from that seminary. I wear it to honor my fellow Anglicans who are beacons of God's hope. I think of those seminarians at St. Nicholas who will be ordained as they, they hear the words we heard today, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus sends us to cast out demons and cure sicknesses in ourselves and in those with whom we share God's peace. We catch glimpses of God's kingdom the place where love rules. We are sustained with hope for this journey. We do not travel alone. Thanks be to God.